This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So, um, inshallah, I wanted to go ahead and pretty much just jump right into the topic and uh, talk a little bit today about uh, renewing our iman. Um, it's a, you know, this, this time of the year, um, generally speaking, folks are focusing on, you know, everywhere you look. Uh, for myself personally, uh, one of my, I guess you could say, vices or indulgences is uh, sports uh, to some extent. So <clears throat> at this time of the year, people are, you know, talking about how, the entire year went. It's basically a recap or an analysis of the entire year, um, the year in review. So folks are looking back at 2012, whether it be in terms of their uh, personal development, in terms of their finances, the news stories, sports, whatever it may be, this is a time of the year when folks are kind of recapping the entire year. And at the same time, folks going forward are also thinking about the year that lies ahead and trying to make sure that the mistakes that were made in this past year are not repeated. Folks are trying to set goals and, um, you know, targets for themselves for the coming year. There's a very popular concept that we're all aware of. People call them New Year's resolutions, where they try to set goals and objectives for themselves for the coming year. Well, uh, as believers, as people of faith, as Muslims, we obviously also have the concern of our iman and our deen and our Islam and our amal. We also want to make sure that we want to reassess, be able to look back at 2012 and see um, how you know we managed and took care of our iman, what was the state and the condition of our iman. And then going forward at the same time, we want to be able to set goals and uh, be able to maintain our iman. So first thing I wanted to talk about, generally speaking, was um, you know a lot of times there are folks who generally speaking, you know, have the goal, the ambition for wanting to make sure that 2013 is a lot better of a year in terms of our iman. So the first thing that I wanted to state was we can learn a little something from everyone and from everything. And when we look at this idea of setting goals and having resolutions for the new year, one of the key pieces of advice that is given is you want to be specific. And it's no different for us in terms of our iman that, yes, generally speaking, we want to be better Muslims in 2013. And while that holds true and firm, at the same time, we need to learn to be a little bit more specific in terms of what that exactly means, maintaining our iman. We need to be a little bit more specific in that regard. And I wanted to share a couple of stories with you to kind of start things off. Um, and then go forward with our conversation from there and maybe talk about some tangible practical items. I met um, I met two individuals. I probably met them about 10 years ago. And uh, at the time when I met them 10 years ago, they were both past the age of 60. So these were two gentlemen who were 60-plus years old. Um, a little bit of detail about these two individuals was that both of these gentlemen – they were professors. Uh, they were basic. They had recently both retired from their teaching positions at their universities, and they were the heads of their department. One was the head of the language and literature department. 
uh, and the other was the head of the mathematics and statistics department. So they, suffice to say, they were brilliant men and very, very intelligent, accomplished individuals. When I met them, what, what stood out about them, what was remarkable about them is that I had the opportunity and the blessing to participate uh, and attend a gathering, a celebration where they were celebrating basically both of them completing the memorization of the Qur'an, memorization of the entire Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had both finished their hiv. They were half of the Qur'an. And their story was, really remarkable, just in and of itself. Somebody past the age of 60 completing the memorization of the Qur'an, you can imagine it's really enlightening and uh, motivating and inspiring. Um, but their story was really remarkable. They basically said that when they both started teaching, they started teaching together at this university at the same time. And they were both, uh, you know, young and up-and-coming academics and professors, and they had both been appointed to teaching positions at this university, and they were good friends. But they also, mashallah, um, were, you know, good practicing Muslims, and they had a concern for while they progressed in their personal life with their families and raising their kids and their careers and their academic ambitions, um, they were also progressing in terms of their Islam and their Iman and their, their, their relationship with Allah. And one of the tangible goals that they had set for themselves was that we wanted to memorize the Qur'an. We realized that we had spent our entire lives up to this point achieving and accomplishing, you know, great feats academically in all these other areas of knowledge. But we sat down and we thought about our relationship with the Qur'an and our accomplishments in terms of the Qur'an. So uh, we decided that we needed to kind of step things up in that regard. So they said they set a goal for themselves. We need to memorize the Qur'an. And they said this was about 30 years ago. And 30 years later, they were now completing the memorization of the Qur'an and having this great celebration. So obviously, you know, it's a, it's a really remarkable story. So I sat down with them to talk to them about some of their, you know, how they went about in achieving that because that's a very common thing. I myself, I memorized the Qur'an when I was really young and I was able to do it in a very short amount of time. But I feel... I personally feel that it's even more remarkable to do it later on in life with all the responsibilities that these individuals had and to be able to sustain a goal over 30 years um, and, and never lose sight of that goal. You know, I was I was doing a lot of reading kind of leading up to this particular session um, specifically, and in general, it's something that, you know, I constantly read about, whether it be from the aspect of psychology or just personal development. And so, uh, you know, the statistics are out there for everyone to see. Um, you know, most people um, give up their resolutions that they've made at the new year. Uh, they give them up within the first couple of weeks. And I was reading somewhere that by mid-February, the vast overwhelming majority of people have completely lost any type of touch or, you know, track of the goals uh, or the resolutions that they had made. And so if people are giving up their resolutions and their goals in six weeks, what is it that allowed these individuals to maintain their goal and their objective for 30 years? And based on some of the feedback I got from them and along with, you know, the Qur'an, the seerah, the sunnah of the Prophet um, and just in general, you know, an observation of people and uh, folks and my own experiences, I had a few specific points I wanted to kind of touch on uh, in terms of maintaining these goals and um being diligent in terms of uh, continuing to, uh, you know, work towards the achievement of our goals that we might have. The first and foremost thing is that you have to make some goals. 
And this is basically what is called in the Quran and in the Sunnah as a niyyah, having an intention. The issue of the intention, the niyyah, is one that is very deep, very profound. It has legal, meaning fiqh, ramifications, but at the same time it has deeply spiritual, tazkiyah, tarbiyah-related implications as well. So the first thing is that the Prophet of Allah tells us, of course, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ That actions are based on their intentions. And what's very interesting about this particular hadith of the Prophet is that the Prophet uses the letter ba. There are a lot of, you know, the word a'mal and the word niyat, the word actions, the word niyat are oftentimes the focus of this, of a conversation revolving around this particular hadith. But what we miss out on the fact is that little ba, which is a preposition in the Arabic language, a harf of jar, is probably the most remarkable part of this hadith and narration. The, the letter ba in the Arabic language has a dozen different meanings and implications, and the Prophet ﷺ intended all of them. But the one that I feel is a couple of them, rather, that are probably the most insightful in regards to this conversation is, number one, that the ba is used for the meaning of sababiya, which basically means that whatever is stated after the ba is the outcome, the consequence of what is stated before the ba, uh, or excuse me, the other way around. What is stated after the ba is the cause, uh, and what is stated before the ba is the consequence and the outcome. So when the Prophet of Allah says our actions, meaning our achievements and our accomplishments, are a direct result and outcome of our intentions. So based on the intention will be the outcome and the consequence. Meaning we cannot have any type of an outcome unless and until we have some type of an intention in place. And the second implication of the ba that I wanted to talk about here is ba is also used in the meaning of ba'ul istihana, which means the ba of assistance or help. Meaning that what is stated before the ba is aided by, is helped by what is stated after the ba. So the intention is the aid and the, and the helper to the actual accomplishments that a lot of times we see as, you know, intentions being juxtaposed or being, you know, uh, opposing or being the problem here, that I had this intention but I was not able to achieve the outcome or the goal. But in reality, we need to look at it this way, that our intentions will actually help us achieve our goals and help us actually achieve anything at all because if we don't have an intention, you have nowhere to begin. So the first thing is that there have to be goals, there have to be ambitions, there have to be some type of intention in place as to what you want to achieve and what you want to accomplish. And I'll say two things about that. Number one is... The Prophet of Allah in another hadith and narration says, that the intention of the believer is better than his action. Meaning that the first thing is that the, the, we, we can, the first thing is that our intention can a lot of times be a lot greater than maybe what our circumstances might tell us that we're able to achieve and accomplish. And we should not let that restrict us, but we should have very lofty goals and ambitions. That's the first thing I want to say. Um, even though practical advice is a lot of times given opposite to this, and I will be basically, to a certain extent, contradicting myself a little bit down the road, but not really a contradiction. I'd rather want to propose a a compromise. So the first thing is we have to have lofty goals and ambitions. So you have to aim high. You have to ha- set goals for yourself that require you to push yourself. You know, one particular thing that I dealt with over the last couple of years that I can kind of use as an example for this is in terms of achieving better health. 
you know, a lot of times people call it losing weight, but it's much more than that. It's 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 having, um, it's basically wanting to improve your health, your physical health, which has a direct impact on your emotional, psychological, and spiritual well-being. Um, so you first have to set a goal that is going to challenge you, at least in the least bit. These two individuals, they decided to memorize the Quran, even though, you know, you sitting there might say, no, 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 that's too much, I'm going to memorize the 30th Jews. No, but they decided they were going to memorize the entire Quran. So the first thing is, you have to have an intention and strive for a lofty goal and a lofty intention. But at the same time, while we're talking about intentions, what we then need to do is you need to set down markers, milestones, mile markers, you need to set down some type of steps uh, that will lead to the achievement of your eventual goals. Well, have an eventual goal at the end of the road, at the end of the day, but then have specific milestones or markers that you will try to reach and you will mark and you will achieve and you will celebrate on the way to the achievement of your eventual goal. So let's just say you started off by saying that you want to establish five times daily salah within your life. We'll start off somewhere with something. Maybe start off with one daily prayer. Um, and, and celebrate that occasion when you reach there. Recognize and, and appreciate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing you to reach that accomplishment, but then move right on to the next goal. So you need to have a long-term intention, but you need to have short-term goals that will lead you to the achievement and the fulfillment of your long-term ambitions, inshallah. So that's the first thing. The second thing in regards to intentions, though, is... One very particular issue um, that, that I think, like I said about losing weight, when people want to lose weight, and a lot of times the goal is solely to lose weight, it's very easy to lose your motivation in regards to that, simply because, you know, there can be many excuses. Um, I, was re- I was doing some reading about a psychological theory that, that is called the stages of change. And one of the stages of change that it talked about was it, it talked about different elements of change, that there is a readiness and a willingness to change. The, then you have to identify the barriers to change, and then you have to expect a certain amount of relapse, that you will start to kind of stumble along the way. And one of the things was pre-contemplation, that a lot of times before people even start to make any grounds in the fulfillment of their goals and their objectives, they have denial, ignorance of the problem. Um, and even beyond that, people then move on to contemplation, which is ambivalence or conflicted emotions. They start to weigh the pros and the cons. They start to kind of, you know, falsely pacify themselves and start to make, you know, make themselves feel good about their current situation and why or how. I don't need to change. It's not necessary for me to change. So in regards to that, there's also an Islamic remedy. That as soon as you set out in terms of achieving something, you set goals for yourself and you want to start to make some grounds, you start to want to take some steps. Shaitan will come, your nafs will come, your environment around you, the enticement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed all around us. There's a hadith of the Prophet that says, that paradise has been surrounded with hardship, with difficulty. And so no pain, no gain, nothing comes easy. And so a little bit of sacrifice, there are so many different Arabic references to this issue as well in wisdom, in Tazki and Tarbiyah that basically state that, you know, there will be some hardships along the way and so shaitan, the hardships, the elements around you, your own nafs and your own inner desires will start to derail you from the achievement of your goals. 
And so one of the things that we have to keep in mind about fulfilling intentions is you have to focus on, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah talks about this in terms of tazkiyah. He says you have to think of, you have to focus on who you are doing this or why you are doing this. So let's keep it more general. You have to keep in mind why you are doing this and for whom you're doing this instead of exactly what you are doing. Because you see, what you are doing is a means to an end. What you are doing is a means to an end. So if you talk about, you know, I want to sit down for 15 minutes every day and recite some Qur'an, then again, nafs and shaitan and all those other things that we talked about will step into the way and basically start to say, why do you have to sit down for 15 minutes in a corner and hold the mushaf and recite the Qur'an? Why could you not just simply, why could you not just simply um, listen to the Qur'an in your car? So the first thing that happened right there was you are derailed from what you are achieving and accomplishing. The goal is to increase, not to decrease. And so what happens now? You are making 15 minutes a day to actually sit down with the Qur'an, read some Qur'an, read some translation, and now it said, no, nah, don't worry about it. They got all these uh, you know, MP3s online that you can download to your phone. They got apps on your phone where you can plug your phone in and you just drive and then you're listening and it reads the Qur'an and it reads the translation of that ayah to you and you're getting two things done at the same time and you're saving that 15 minutes. Initially, it'll tell you you're saving that 15 minutes to do something else. You're going to read a book. You're going to do something else productive. Eventually, what you realize is, what are you doing with that extra 15 minutes? You're watching a football game. You're reading ESPN. You're on, your, you're on Facebook. You're talking on the phone. You're watching television. You're watching YouTube. You're doing something else with that 15 minutes that's not so productive anymore. So right away, you were detracted from your goal, um, or at least the achievement of your goal, because it was about what you were doing. Okay, you want to listen to the Quran? Why can't you want to recite the Quran? You want to spend some time with the Quran? Why can't you do it while you drive a car? So right away you made a compromise. What will happen a couple of weeks down the road? You'll be listening to the Quran in your car, and then one day there's something very fascinating coming on the radio. Again, I'll, I'll talk about this from a personal perspective. Again, sports seems to be kind of my personal poison. So what will happen is, I'll say, well, there was a, there's a really big Cowboys game coming up this weekend. That's football for all, for all my sisters out there. Um, so I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. May Allah forgive me. So um, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll say there's a really big Cowboys game coming up this weekend. So let me at least see what they're talking about on ESPN. Let me see what they're talking about on sports radio, about the big game coming up this weekend. And now I'm going to start listening to the radio. About five minutes in, I say, no, 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 i got to listen to my Qur'an, and I switch back over to Qur'an. A couple of more weeks down the road, now it's 10 minutes of radio, 5 minutes of Qur'an. Before I know it, there's no Qur'an at all whatsoever. Not that app, mashallah, is sitting there on my phone in all of its, you know, iPhone glory, and I'm doing absolutely nothing with it. That's how we get detracted. So the very important thing about intentions is I have to remind myself, and this is why the scholars of the past used to talk about renewing one's intention. Now, that's kind of vague and ambiguous, renewing one's intention. What does that mean? It means that you literally first write down your intention, you revisit that intention, you remind yourself not just what you have to do, but why you're doing it. And in our case as Muslims, who are we doing it for? We're doing it for Allah. 
And we have to remind ourselves of Allah. There's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet وسلم, where the where the Prophet told the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Jaddidu Imanakum, which is basically the theme of this entire webinar. Um Jaddidu Imanakum, renew your faith in your Iman. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum being the amazing students that they were, may Allah be pleased with them, um, that they asked the Prophet ﷺ, How do we refresh and renew our faith in Iman, O Messenger of Allah? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Increase and frequent your remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So frequently say, La ilaha illallah. One of my teachers explained to me about this, that this, is, this doesn't just simply mean to just only say, La ilaha illallah. That's obviously a part of it, but that's not all of it. It means to think about Allah, to talk about Allah, to reflect on Allah, to remind yourself of how important it is for you to have Allah in your life, to talk about that fact, to write it down on a piece of paper, to remind yourself of it. And... The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, there's a hadith in Sahih Bukhari where it talks about Abdullah bin Rawaha, a great companion of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who used to come to the masjid of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he would find Sahaba radiallahu anhum and he would tell them, Ijilis bina nu'minu sa'atan, why don't you sit with me for a minute and let us sit together and refresh our faith and our iman. And so they would have conversations, they would talk about this, basically think of them as support groups. Support groups. So just like uh, I know that a lot of people on Facebook will have, you know, weight loss groups where every day everyone's got to check in and talk about, you know, uh, what they ate today and how many pounds they lost today and how, how much they worked out today and things like that. So they would have support groups about keeping each other on track. I was just talking to a young man yesterday, one of my students, who basically said he has a salah buddy. He has a friend, a salah buddy, who they, they take turns texting one another at the time when it's time for salah to remind each other that no matter what you're doing right now, stop whatever it is that you're up to right now and go pray. Go pray. And so re- renewing and refreshing our intentions is very important. So first of all, set goals for yourself. And then make sure you have a long-term goal and never lose sight of that long-term goal. Write it down on your wall somewhere. And, and um, you know, tape it, write it down on a big old board or a piece of paper and nail it, tape it to your wall. So you never lose sight of what your eventual goal is. Just like those brothers wrote down their goal. We're going to memorize the Quran even if this takes 30 years, and it took 30 years, and they did memorize the Book of Allah. And they can today thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for making them amongst the Hufaz and on the Day of Judgment. Insha'Allah, bi'idhnillah, they will be raised amongst the ranks of the Hufaz of the Quran. And then secondly, within your long-term goal, make sure that you have small, you know, smaller goals or short-term goals or achievements, accomplishments, mile markers that you will continue to note down and jot down and continue to get past. Um, secondly, keep in mind, remind yourself of the why why you're doing what you're doing, what you hope to achieve in terms of what you're doing. So that's the number one thing I wanted to talk about. Number two is maintaining focus. Because it seems like whether we're talking about New Year's resolutions or we're talking about spiritual ambitions and goals, spiritual development, um, it seems to be that folks um, lose you know, focus after a while. And this is one of the reasons when I was doing some research about New Year's resolutions, some of the psychologists were talking about pick just one resolution. Um, I, I 
I would agree, but not completely agree. I do think that imp- focus is very important. So you do want to narrow your focus onto one particular thing at one time. But if we look at our deen, we have to pray five times a day. We have to maintain some learning of the Quran. We have to fast in the month of Ramadan. We have to maintain our relationship with our family. We've got to be spiritually, physically, emotionally healthy. All of those things are there. Um, so there are multiple things that we have to maintain, but still, we do have to narrow down our focus just a little bit. So be specific in terms of your goal. Maybe initially you just focused on praying five times a day and achieve and accomplish that. Um, maybe you are praying five times a day, but you want to increase your knowledge of your religion. Then don't try to study eight different things at the same time because you won't achieve anything at all. So quality over quantity. So start small, start with something specific, and do one thing at a time. So have a certain amount of focus. But again, that's the practical side. On the spiritual side, there are things that we can do to maintain focus that have spiritual um, implications as well. They're important within our deen and recommended from a spiritual aspect as well. For instance, number one, salah, zikr is something that helps us retain our focus. Because if the goal at the end of the day is Allah, then praying five times a day and making the zikr and the remembrance of Allah is a big part of achieving and accomplishing that goal. One of the practical ways to achieve the zikr and the constant remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, a lot of times we have a very... um, we have kind of a very ritualistic, formal idea of what remembrance of Allah, zikr of Allah is. But it's a lot more practical than we make it out to be. One of the things the Prophet ﷺ taught us is the daily supplications. You might be familiar with that little book that's called Khisnul Muslim, The Fortress of the Muslim. Some of my students have developed an app that you can download onto an iPhone or Android device. It's called My Dua. And um, it basically has all those du'as and supplications in there. In fact, the next seminar, uh, you know, and this is part of the reason, the, the, the two primary seminars that I've traveled around the country with, or the, pri- the main seminar I've traveled around the country with is called Meaningful Prayer. Because without salah, it's really hard to achieve anything else within our lives from a spiritual perspective and even from, you know, a personal uh, perspective as well. Um, and then, so make sure that you have quality within your prayer. The second seminar very, uh, you know, uh, coincidentally, I guess you could say, that I'm working on is called Accepted Supplication, which again focuses on the daily supplication. So if we remember to say the name of Allah, make dua to Allah when we wake up. Alhamdulillah, we say the name of Allah before we go in the restroom. When we come out of the restroom, we say Bismillah before we eat. Alhamdulillah, after we're done eating, we say the name of Allah when we leave our homes, when we enter back into our homes, when we get in our cars, whatever it is that we're doing. The Prophet ﷺ taught us a short dua that takes literally 15 seconds to read at that time. If we read that and we understand what that means and we think about it that and we reflect on that, it helps us maintain cognizance, awareness of Allah throughout our entire day. And that's very important. The third thing is, from a practical standpoint, is very important as well. It's called muhasaba. Muhasaba is reassessing what you've done up till this point. So whether we're talking about 2012 as a year or whether we're talking about the day up till this point, it's 6 p.m. Um, so reassess your day. How was your day? What did you do today? How, what kind of decisions and choices did you make today? And thirdly, uh, or fourthly rather, I should say, it's called muraqaba. It's reflection and contemplation. And a part of that is continuing to think how you can make the rest of your day or the coming year productive for yourself. 
So think about it. Okay, I, go, I need to go to sleep by 10 o'clock. Set your goal. So what is in between me and 10 p.m. right now? So I have Salat al-Isha at 8 p.m. So let me make sure that I make Salat al-Isha at that time. Let me make sure that I eat my dinner before Salat al-Isha because that's healthy and good and productive. Let me not put put it off till late. Okay, what am I going to do with that two hours? So from now till Salat al-Isha, I'm going to eat food and prepare for Salat al-Isha and pray Isha on time. What am I going to do after Isha? I have about an hour and a half, two hours of time. Am I just going to sit on my phone and fiddle around with my phone and just waste my time on Facebook liking statuses, right? But what am I going to do? So set some type of goals and targets. Okay, I need to call my mom. I haven't talked to her all day today. I need to, for me personally, I know that I need to spend time with my kids. That's the time that I can basically give my kids a bath. I can change them into their clothes to going to sleep. I can sit with them. I can recite a surah of the Quran and I can tell them a story from the life of the Prophet and then put them to bed. That's a quality usage of my time. So let me reflect on my time and think forward. So making sure that we're on top of our daily prayers, making sure that we have a constant zikr and connection to Allah throughout our day through a very practical means of the daily supplications. Number three, let me reassess what I've done up till this point, and then let me sit down and reflect on how I can make the rest of my time productive. So that is the issue of focus. Um, Number three is be resourceful. It's very important to be resourceful. And I wanted to talk about something very specific. There are a lot of things in our lives that we can identify as distractions. There can be indulgences, you know, such as friends, uh, acquaintances. Um, One of the biggest uh, distractions for us today is a lot of times our electronic devices, our phones and our computers and our iPads and all these different electronics that we have are a huge distraction and a waste of time for us. How can I turn a distraction into a resource for productivity? So my friends can also be a means of me staying on top of my goals. Sit down with a couple of friends and maybe who understand exactly what my issues are or what I'm trying to achieve and accomplish, and let me share my goals with them and ask them to keep me on top of my goals um, and, and, you know, family and friends. Uh, that same device, that, that iPhone, that has become, you know, the biggest distraction in your life and has completely destroyed all semblance of productivity within your life, you can actually turn that into a pretty powerful resource. Um, Believe it or not, that phone that has YouTube and Facebook and Twitter on it, that phone also has notifications. It has reminders. It has a calendar. It has a to-do list and an app that you can also utilize to your benefit. Um, Set reminders. Set goals. Set alarms for yourself. I just talked about the Facebook groups. You know, Facebook is a huge distraction for a lot of people, but you can maybe find a Facebook uh, group for Salah, for prayer, recitation of the Quran. I just, this past weekend in California, I met uh, a gentleman, an individual, who developed a, uh, a website for Quran reading. And the goal and the idea is it creates groups and reminders and, uh, you know, goals and uh, uh, different, you know, uh, markers of achievement so that you can track your relationship and your uh, journey throughout the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Quran. So be resourceful. Identify so many different things that are in your life 
to be able to help you achieve these goals and these uh, ambitions that you have. And at the same time, learn to kind of be your own personal disciplinarian. Realize and understand that sometimes you do not have the willpower that you maybe think that you have. Just be honest with yourself. I know that's the issue for me. So when I decided to start losing weight, I realized I could not resist myself. So what did, what did I end up doing? What I ended up doing was basically discarding um, getting rid of everything that was there that there was to eat or drink in my house that was not a part of my diet. I got rid of it, and I stopped buying it. I don't need to have it. It has some repercussions. Now when guests come over to my house, uh, they don't leave as happy as they used to because they don't get as much sugar as they may be used to. But you know what? Tough luck. Uh, I let them know. Like, sorry about it. Sorry I'm serving you basically, you know, horse food. But uh, this is what I got to do in order to stay healthy. And so there should be times during the day, identify what your issue, your problem is. If your phone is your problem, there are some times throughout the day when you put your phone in airplane mode. I know it's called airplane mode, but it's not only for airplanes, all right? Put your phone into airplane mode, and or maybe go and lock your phone up somewhere. I know there are times, there are situations, like this is one of the advices that I got from my dad, um, leaving your phone in the car when you go to the masjid. I know there can be emergencies and things like that, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all, but identify whatever your issue may be, and, you know, Take steps in order to achieve that. Shut down your computer. Maybe go and lock your computer uh, in a different room and do not access that room. Do not go there. Whatever it takes. But make sure that there are, you're, you are resourceful and you're taking into account you know, different resources that are available to you in order to help you achieve your goals. Um, another thing, number four, is develop a support system. And this has kind of already been talked about, but I wanted to talk about this specifically. Seek out good company. And in the Quran, in Surah Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where he talks a lot about community and society, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا تَقُوا اللَّهُ وَكُونُوا مَعَ الصَّدِقِينَ O you who believe, develop the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is our the eventual goal for all of us. But Allah says, وَكُونُوا مَعَ الصَّدِقِينَ Keep company with good people with truthful people, honest people, people who have a good relationship with Allah. So seek out a good company, people who motivate you, inspire you, and help you achieve your goals. So a lot of times it can be a little demoralizing. You know, um, when I, I remember um, I, probably the best, you know, health or the physical shape of my life that I was in was uh, right out of high school. Uh, the first couple of years out of high school, I was in really, really good physical health. Um, and I actually used to work out and, um, you know, diet and things like that um, with a couple of brothers who, you know, it was very intimidating actually working out with them because these guys were literally at the level of professional athletes, um, and I was nowhere near them. But what I did at the same time was I didn't look at that as a deterrent. I used them to motivate me and inspire me, and I kept company with them. And I would work out with them. And I would actually go to eat with them. Um, and I would see what they eat, and I would eat what they would eat, and I would try to keep up with them when working out. And it was the best shape that I was ever in. Uh, even recently, in the last couple of years, when I decided to kind of get my health back in order, that's exactly the same thing I did again. 
was I latched on to a couple of people um, who, mashallah, were very, very productive and kept very good, uh, you know, uh, kept, kept, stayed in good shape and kept themselves in good health and made good choices. And again, initially it was a little intimidating. It was a little tough to keep up with them actually just last night. Um, so I guess a little bit of personal information about myself. Um, aside from, you know, when I try to work out three, four times a week, once a week I play basketball. Um, but I don't want playing basketball to just be like a social outlet or to be something fun. I want for it to be a good, productive physical activity for me. So I basically play basketball with a bunch of 18-year-olds. And I'll tell you, I've been limping around all day today. Um, I'm tired and my ankle is hurting. But you know what? I played basketball for about two hours yesterday with a bu- after Salat al-Isha um, with a bunch of like 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And these kids are fast. And they have so much energy that they're not even tired after two hours. I'm barely standing after two hours. But what it does is it's a little exhausting. It's a little intimidating. But what it does is it keeps me healthy and it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me going in terms of achieving my goals. So have a strong support system and a support network. Keep company and latch on to people who inspire you and motivate you and try to keep up with them. And you'll really be able to push yourself. And, of course, the sixth and the final thing that I wanted to mention here was make dua. Make tons of dua. You know, uh, understand two things, that there are three things I want you to make dua for. Number one, I want you to understand that change is a progress. You know, whatever your goals and uh, ambitions are, it is a journey, it is a process. And so... Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a very important thing, which we in English call consistency, but in the Arabic language it's called istiqama. The greatest reward that Allah has stated in the Quran in Surah number 41 is for people who not only believed in Allah but then had consistency. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the Prophet he told him, فَاسْتَقِمْ كَمَا don't just do what I told you to do, O oh, oh, beloved messenger, but be steadfast on what I told you to do. So steadfastness and consistency is a very key thing. Ask Allah for istiqamah. That's why the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's narrated in Bukhari, that the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, used to make dua, Ya musabbit al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala dinik. Ya musarif al-qulub, sarif qulub, qalbi ala ta'atik. That, O oh, oh, the solidifier of hearts, Solidify my heart upon your religion and your deen. So, Rabbana la tuziqulubana ba'da idhadaytana. Oh Allah, after you've guided us, don't let our hearts go astray. Our hearts will want to go astray. There are many forces in this world that will try to lead our hearts astray, but oh Allah, don't take our hearts astray. So ask Allah for consistency and steadfastness. The Prophet ﷺ said, The best actions are the ones that are done with consistency, even if they be very little. Um, so don't uh, underestimate the importance of consistency. So ask Allah, make dua, make tons of dua, number one, for consistency. Number two, number two, understand that you will falter and stumble along the way. But realize that those little cuts and bruises are only there to make you stronger. And, and keep g- getting back up. But you know what, times as human beings, we might lack, we might lack the strength to get back up on our feet. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and His greatness and His ability has no restrictions, no limitations. Rely on the ability and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the mercy of Allah. Ask Allah to pick you back up. 
ask Allah to pick you back up. And so ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the strength that you need. And so the second thing you make dua for is ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pick you back up and to keep you going through difficulty and through adversity. That's what the Prophet would do at the journey of Ta'if, where the Prophet those people did not accept Islam at that moment. The whole city of Ta'if did not become Muslim. And in fact, they attacked the Prophet and they stoned him until he bled from his entire body. But what did the Prophet do? اللهم أشكو إليك ضعف قوتي وقلة حيلتي وهواني على الناس يا رب العالمين. He said, Oh Allah, I complain to you of my weakness and I complain to you of my lack of resources and I complain to you of my lack of, you know, position in the eyes of these people. But oh Allah, I ask you to pick me back up and I ask you to still help me achieve my goal and that is for these people to believe and the people of Sa'if did eventually believe. So realize that depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put your trust in Allah and make dua to Allah to pick you back up whenever it is that you stumble or fall. And the third thing is make dua and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, um, to renew your iman, to strengthen you, you in your iman. One of the biggest things is that there's again a balance over here. We have to be very cognizant. You know, we, we, we have to have strong intentions and work hard and be motivated and be driven and be ambitious. But at the same time, we cannot become completely, solely reliant and dependent upon ourselves. We have to also depend and trust on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if we only put our trust in Allah, then that is called wishful thinking and that is the behavior of foolish people. There needs to be a balance there. Avoid previous mistakes. That's what that muhasaba is. Look at the mistakes that you've made. Be cognizant of those mistakes and work forward. But at the same time, realize that you will need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his help. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you steadfastness, consistency, and shower you with his mercy and with his help and keep you going. And continue to revisit your goals. State them to yourselves. Remind yourself of your goals, no matter how painful it may be, to look at what you have to achieve or what you haven't achieved, but continue to remind yourself of your goal. And inshallah, eventually, one day, we will be able to achieve even the long-term goal that we've set for ourselves, just like those two brothers that I hugged on that beautiful day in the masjid, in the house of Allah, when they had both completed their memorization of the Qur'an. And one of the last issues that I uh, I should mention here is never be afraid to, you know, uh, maybe take a change in strategy. Consult with people. Ask people for advice. You know, go to people and ask people for advice. Tell them what your goal is, what you've achieved, what you've accomplished, what was your process, and and then how maybe you are not moving forward anymore. And then be open to advice and changing and shifting your strategy, um, and and being uh, be willing to, you know, uh, maybe take a little bit of a different game plan. Um, I remember meeting um, this young brother who. Um, you know, had the goal and the ambition that he basically, again, wanted to memorize the Qur'an. It's a similar story. He wanted to memorize the Qur'an, and he, sat out, he basically set out in terms of memorizing the Qur'an. And somewhere along the way, he got derailed and detracted, and he came to talk to me. And I basically asked him how he was going about memorizing the Qur'an, and he told me, and I told him, I felt that that was not the best way possible to go about this. And I gave him some other advice. This brother basically implemented that advice, and I ended up meeting him a couple of years later and found out that he had completed the memorization of the Qur'an. And he was saying that he realized that it was because he needed a shift in strategy, and he wasn't going about 
memorizing the Quran in the optimal way possible. So be open to a little bit of feedback and advice, and from time to time, consult with people, talk to people, and you never know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could send somebody your way or some advice your way. Uh, that could be exactly what you need at that particular point to keep you going in terms of achieving and accomplishing your goals. And um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, um, allow us to learn from the mistakes that we've made of the past. Um, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the coming year and the coming moments uh, of our life, you know, whether it be the next couple of hours, the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, and, you know, the rest of our lives, extremely productive and allow us to be people of Iman and be steadfast on our Iman and allow us to be raised on the day of judgment amongst the people of Iman, uh, inshallah. And, and one of the things, kind of going back to where we started about intention, that I will tell you is when you make a strong intention, never delay. Start living and fulfilling your intention today. Right now, right here, immediately. You know, even this idea of New Year's resolutions, a lot of times people are thinking about it right now, but they, they look at the calendar and they say, I have 12 days till January starts. So for 12 days, I'm basically going to, you know, do whatever it is that I want to do. I'm going to stuff my face uh, and I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. And then from January the 1st, I'm going to get started on my goals and on my resolution. No, that's not how a believer handles it. What a believer does is you start right here, right now, today and get started immediately today, inshallah, and start working towards your goals, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to achieve uh, what we're capable of, and even beyond, inshallah, what maybe, you know, we might be capable of, but realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no restrictions and no limitations. Bismillah ta'ala, jazakumullah khairan. I pray and I hope Allah gives us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us and means the benefits for all of us. for that beneficial advice. Um, I hope the other sisters benefited just as much as I did. Um, I really appreciate that you not only covered, uh, you know, how to achieve, like, dunya-related goals, but also how to renew your iman at the same time. And that's exactly what our topic was about, just, you know, wholesome um, advice on how to renew your spirit and, you know, keep a focus on your goals, but at the same time, renew your iman and get in touch with the deen again and think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, jazakallah khair, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to start the Q&A, and I advise everybody to send in their questions. Um, you can email them to us at habibihalakas.gmail.com or wherever you're attending on the webpage. If you just scroll down a little bit, there's a question box, um, and you can just put in your name, email, and send in the question, and um, I'm going to be uh, addressing these questions to Sheikh Abdul Nasser. So while you do that, let me get started with the first question. Um, Sheikh, our first question is, what advice do you have for people? Um, and I know you kind of mentioned this in your lecture, but um, what advice do you have for people who kind of get lazy when it comes to achieving their goals? So they're all gung-ho, and they write it down and make intention, and you know, it's all set in stone. And But when it comes to actually doing it, they get lazy about it and never end up getting to it. It just remains like a long thing to do list or like a long goal list on paper. Um, and the primary reason is kind of like laziness or just get uninterested in 
you know, achieving their goals? What what advice do you have for those people? Well, um, folks have to understand that there are, you know, different types of people and different people respond to different things and different uh, strategies and tactics. Um, and this is spiritually relevant as well. Uh, that, you know, some people are very self-driven, self-motivated, um, and work very well with, um, you know, just in terms of self-accountability. Some folks, it's very helpful for them if they have, you know, little tools or resources like that, like I talked about, a to-do list, a to-do app. I know personally, like a to-do app um, or a list or things like that don't really work uh, too much for me personally. That's just the way it is. An app just ends up being an app on my phone. That's really all it ends up doing for me. Um, but at the same time, there are some folks who require, um, you know, accountability or like a group system, a support system. Uh, and, and that's something we shouldn't shy away from in that, you know, it doesn't make you any less motivated. It doesn't make you any less of a go-getter or any, you know, less accomplished or anything like that. There's nothing like that at all. So just understand that that's just a different type of person with a different mindset. And, you know, a lot of times having uh, a couple of people, you know, in the process with you, somebody else to kind of check on you and ask you and talk to you and hold you accountable is extremely helpful. It is very, very helpful. And um, if you're that type of person, then maybe exactly that's what you need. So somebody who's maybe struggled with that in the past, kind of wrote things down and made a list, and that's pretty much all it ended up being, uh, maybe you need to explore a little bit more of the human element. Uh, maybe have a friend or a family member kind of stay on top of you uh, and help you uh, along the way. Like, uh, that's something that personally is very, very helpful to me. And if we look within Islam as well, there's an acknowledgement of that fact, and that's why there is the adhan, there is prayer in in congregation, in a group. You know, fasting in Ramadan is easier because everyone is fasting together. Every The whole family wakes up for suhoor together and does iftar together. So don't be ashamed or don't be afraid to basically rely upon other people and kind of network with other people in terms of trying to achieve and accomplish your goals because that's just some that's just something that some of us need and require, and there's nothing wrong with that at all, uh, in the least bit. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Makes a lot of sense, mashallah. Um, the next question is that um, we have had, like, a, you know, so many people, like, they're pouring in with their questions, and one of the questions that's repeating very often is that they want to know what strategy um, you mentioned to the brother for memorizing the Qur'an. And there's a lot of related questions to Qur'an memorization. Um, I'll just pose them all right now. There's somebody else asking, which is better to study the fear while memorizing or first memorize and then study the fear? Um, and, uh, again, there's somebody else asking, when is the best time to, study, uh, to memorize the Qur'an and how to stay focused? So if you can just give us a general overview yeah, of sure. these. Uh, my, 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 personal, my personal advice to the brother was um, that, for in, uh, first and foremost, I know uh, this is a situation with a lot of our college students and working professionals and, you know, families and mothers and things like that, um, that a lot of times we try to maybe, you know, play, like, like uh, you know, listen to a surah, play it in our car, kind of maybe, you know, play it on the stereo at home or whatever it may be or um, and, and just kind of listen to it and try to memorize it. And that's how this brother was going about it. But it seemed like 
he wasn't able to gain a lot of traction. He would memorize a little bit and kind of struggle with it, and he wasn't making as much progress as he had hoped to. So one of the things I advised him was to take out time to kind of sit down and also look at the Qur'an, like read, um, you know, visual, visually look at the Qur'an and read the Qur'an when trying to memorize it because memorization is something that is trying to preserve something and all the different outlets, all the different faculties and the senses are very resourceful and helpful in that regard from, what you, from not only listening to the Qur'an helps in terms of memorizing it, but looking at it also helps to visually retain uh, what you are memorizing and learning. Um, reading it out loud is also helpful because now you're also verbalizing it, which will also help in retention. And even the hand and the touch, the physical sense also helps. That's why our teachers, when, they, when we used to memorize the Quran, they used to tell us to kind of follow along with our fingers. You know, following along with your finger when you read the Quran is usually something that we think is for kids or people who are starting off or reading the Quran, but it's something that's very, very helpful um, in terms of, uh, just kind of reading for the purpose of memorization. So I told him to take out time and just kind of physically engage with all the different senses and faculties um, in terms of memorizing the Quran. Uh, one of the uh, you know questions was also about uh, what is the best time to memorize. Um, definitely, without uh, any exception, you know, early in the morning is a very good productive time to get anything done. And memorizing the Quran is no exception. Uh, this is just because of the human condition and reality. But there's also a spiritual significance as, as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Quran al-Fajr in the Quran uh, itself. And the Prophet sallallahu is a part of his regimen and his daily routine to recite Quran in the morning before Fajr um, and after Salat al-Fajr at the same time. Uh, another question was um, specifically in regards to what was that third question? It was actually a very interesting question. Sorry, the question was um, the strategy for memorizing the Quran. Like, should they study the tafsir before memorizing, or should they ah, first yes. study the Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about are timing of memorizing the Qur'an, and this is very relevant to our situations. A little tip, a little trick for, for all of the sisters here in terms of kind of memorizing, you know, something on a daily basis. Um, the last thing that you look at and you read and you internalize before you go to sleep is something that kind of, I guess, you know, remains in your consciousness or in your subconsciousness, and it, it will be fresh with you in the morning. So this is something I kind of discovered by chance when I was, you know, a young student memorizing the Qur'an myself. Um, the la I would basically, whatever it is I was trying to memorize for that day, it would be the last thing that I would read a couple of times over before I went to sleep at night, and I would immediately go to bed after having looked at that, after having read that, that those couple of pages. And when I would wake up the next morning, it's like I knew them. They were very fresh in my, in my mind and in my heart, in my head. And this is something that's very important for us because I talked a little bit about the, the you know, phones and tablets and all these devices that we have, and it's become a very, very bad habit that before we go to bed at night, we fiddle with our phones until we fall asleep. So we check our Facebook feed, um, you know, again, talking about a personal problem I have, I'll be checking ESPN to see, you know, what games were played that night and who won and who lost and things like that. So the last thing before we go to bed is we play around with our phones. Um, 
instead of that, put the phone away, put the tablet away, and recite some Quran before you go to bed, and you'll know that Quran very well in the morning, inshallah. Um, and then the other thing was, in terms of prioritization, you know, because there are many different facets of studying the Quran from tajweed to recitation to memorization to translation to tafsir. Um, so what should be the priority in regards to that? Generally speaking, the general advice is have a little bit of everything going on. And I understand that sounds kind of productive, but understand that the Quran is a book of Allah and the Quran needs to be approached holistically for us to be able to benefit from it you know, uh, completely. Um, and, and you know, on, honestly, a lot of times, folks can become very unbalanced in their relationship with the Qur'an, which has spiritual ramifications. I've known brothers, uh, some, you know, the, I've been teaching a weekly tafsir class in my masjid for about 12 years now, alhamdulillah. There's a brother who's been attending my tafsir class for 12 years. And what he does is actually in the week leading up to the class, he reads the translation and he'll study the ayat on his own in a couple of different tafsir books leading up to that particular session. And then, you know, he'll he'll be in the class and, you know, he'll get the maximum benefit out of the class. He'll ask the best questions in the class. Really great student. You could not pray or ask for a better student. At the same time, um, because his brother comes to this masjid, and I knew that this brother is, mashallah, a very diligent student. I requested this brother to kind of lead the prayer. If I ever had to go to an MSA or another meeting or another program in another masjid, I asked his brother to lead the prayer in my absence. And he was very shy and very hesitant to do so. And I asked him why that was exactly. Did he need maybe a couple of tajweed sessions or something? And in my conversation with the brother, not only did he need some to work on his tajweed, his pronunciation of the Qur'an properly, but I also ended up realizing he barely had half a dozen surahs memorized. I'm talking about the small little surahs. Um, and, and I asked him why that was, and he said, you know, he spent so much time reading tafsir and studying tafsir that he never really got around to memorizing any, any of the Qur'an, and I told him we had to fix that. So at the same time, you probably know a lot of people who recite the Qur'an for hours and hours or who have memorized a lot of the Qur'an, even all of the Qur'an. And not only do they not know what the Qur'an means, any of the translation, the meaning, the tafsir of the Qur'an, but they don't care to learn what it means. And um, that's problematic. That's extremely problematic. So what I, what I basically tell people is we need to have a balance. And the way you can do that, you can regimen yourself. You can definitely regimen yourself. So maybe you have two days a week that you, uh, three days a week that you sit down to memorize, you know, a couple of lines or half a page or whatever it may be. And then maybe latch on to a weekly tafsir halaqa. That that's where you go to kind of get your tafsir portion of the Qur'an. And then maybe attend a weekly tajweed class where you go to continuously improve your recitation of the Qur'an. But try to approach the Qur'an as holistically as possible. But I think that's possible because maybe you might have to shift your prioritization from time to time. So maybe you decide for the first six months you will improve your tajweed. Then the next six months you will try to memorize a juz. And for the next six months after that you will learn the translation, the meaning, and the tafsir of that juz. And that's okay. If you have to kind of structure yourself in that regard, that's perfectly fine and okay based on the resources available to you. But nevertheless, I have to still stress and emphasize having a holistic approach to the Qur'an and having a complete, as much as possible, relationship with the Book of Allah and trying to benefit from the Qur'an across the board and across the spectrum.
Okay, JazakAllah, Sheikh. Thank you so much. Um, mashallah, we have questions coming in, um, not only the quantity of the questions, but uh, sisters are, you know, they're filling in where they're sending the questions from, and there's sisters from India, Hyderabad, you know, sisters from London, U.S., mashallah, sure. even though the time there is like Fajr time or like 2 a.m., but mashallah, people are tuning in. Um, and I was just going to ask you, do you think we have time for a couple more questions? I can probably take a couple of more questions uh, based on... Oh, there's uh, only two yeah. more that I really want you to answer sure, before sure. we leave, if possible, inshallah. Um, the first one is, there's a sister who's saying... Um, I'm so sorry about the phone call. Um, there's a sister who's asking, um, if you try your best to stay steadfast, um, but end up sinning in weakness, is there still hope and forgiveness from Allah? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, and this is why... I want. I specifically mentioned that hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi that the action, that the intention of the believer is better than his or her actions. And I said that specifically because if we have intentions to do something for the sake of Allah, we are we we are sincere in those intentions, and we make the best effort possible to carry through with that intention. What ends up really happening at the end of the day is something that is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's not something that, um, you know, we uh, have to bear any guilt in regards to or or, or be demoralized by in the least bit. Um, but what we need to understand, what we need to be able to um, uh, internalize is that that's in the hands of Allah we make a sincere intention, we work as hard as we can for the pleasure of Allah, and then leave the rest to Allah's power to Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Um, and one last question. Um, you know, we're, like, there's a lot of sister audience. It's, this webinar is for sisters. Um, so there's a question coming in from a lot of sisters, um, and they're asking, you know, when I get married, uh, my life changes all of a sudden, or there's a sister saying um, she had a baby, and uh, for a new mother, you know, her schedules are all completely changed. Um, what advice would you give for women, for sisters who uh, get married or have children? Um, and, you know, like I said, they have no structure in their uh, life uh, at that moment. What advice would you give to them to accomplish their goals? Wow. Um, I, I, I pretty much personally speaking, uh, honestly, I really don't have any advice to give to them. And I'll tell you why. Uh, mothers, uh, generally speaking, especially mothers who have small, you know, babies and small children, are pretty. Uh, I mean, as far as uh, the way I feel about them, I, I think they're superheroes. Uh, they are the most remarkable people in our communities, and they're they're, they're an inspiration. You know, uh, when I teach a meaningful prayer class, which is about khushu', uh, it's about getting quality in our prayers. I used to think. I used to think that people who are in a professional work setting, you know, like I'm from Dallas, so we have a lot of corporations and, you know, uh, corporate work settings here in a lot of the Muslim communities. A lot of the brothers work in these type of corporate settings. So based on their feedback, I used to think that Salah and Khushu and Salah was the most challenging for those brothers uh, until I started talking to sisters when I would travel around Tisha's class and I even looked at my own wife. I realized that no, mothers who are at home with small children, khushu is the most difficult thing for them because kids do not take a break. Uh, kids do not give you a second. 
Um, actually, today, interestingly, I pretty much uh, was taking care of the kids the whole time. My wife had some errands to run and uh, a doctor's appointment to go to and things like that. So I pretty much was responsible for the kids the entire day. And, um, man, subhanAllah, it's, it's, you can't even get five minutes um, to yourself. Um, they, 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 they have constant needs. And, I mean, that's nothing bad about the kids. It's just the needs of a child. And um, so it's really difficult. Um, but from talking to my own wife and my own mother and my sister also has uh, a baby. My niece is about a year and a half old. May Allah protect all of our beautiful children. And, um, uh, and, and from talking to other sisters as well, what I've kind of come to realize and understand is two things. Uh, number one is that and, and I mean this in all sincerity. I, I'm not trying to patronize or, um, you know, just kind of give them some type of, you know, a, a nonsensical answer. I, I mean this very honestly and sincerely that sisters have to understand and they have to reconcile the fact that when, when, when you have a child and you are basically serving that child, you know, taking care of that child, nurturing that child, that is a great, remarkable form of ibadah and worship. I know sisters don't like to hear that because they say, no, why are we being, you know, sold short and why are we not receiving the privilege of being able to, you know, go to the masjid and do the ibadah and do the community service and the activism that the brothers are doing? Why is this? Very honestly, I know it sounds hypocritical coming from me because I'm a man, but I'm trying to give you this answer from the perspective of the women in my life who I have a great amount of respect for um, and that they are my motivation and my inspiration. Uh, I often tell people I learned Iman from my mother. I learned how to believe from my mom. My mom is the most amazing believer I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, that I will tell you one thing, that taking care of your children is a remarkable act of worship, ibadah, and one of the greatest forms of contribution to the ummah that you can make. That is exactly why, that is exactly why Allah, the Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith Qudsi, that, or, or the Prophet ﷺ says in an authentic narration, Sahih Muslim, that when the Prophet ﷺ wanted to find anything to compare it to the love and the mercy that Allah has for us, he compared it to the love and the mercy of a mother. That is why the Prophet ﷺ talked about how, you know, raising good daughters, raising good daughters, um, guarantees paradise and Jannah. Um, that is why there is such a lofty reward uh, and such so much great respect for the mother within our religion, because it is the greatest service of the greatest service in our being that any human being, any greatest contribution anyone can make. But on top of that. That doesn't mean that a sister should completely give up her pursuits. Some of the most remarkable women, again, that I know were women who not only raised amazing children, but were also doing amazing things on the side um, and were memorizing Quran and were serving the community and were educators in their community and leading community service projects. My younger brother, when he was a year old, he was a year old. He's a lot younger than I am, but he, he was a year old at that time, so we had a baby in the house. Um, we received uh, a couple of hundred, uh, you know, refugee families, Muslim families from Kurdistan. Uh, they came to our area, our exact city. And my younger brother was a year old. He was a baby. Uh, my mom was one of the main sisters at that time who was going around 
meeting with these sisters, buying them groceries, getting them set up, enrolling their children at school, buying them the book bags and the clothes that they needed to go to school. My mom and a couple of her friends were the main sisters who were doing that. They did that. They made that sacrifice, and they were achieving such great things. There are so many hundreds of stories that I've witnessed in front of my own eyes that are so amazing and so remarkable about what women were able to achieve. My own mom, I know I'm talking about my mom a lot. It's not to brag. It's just because that's how much she inspires me. When I was myself was young, and my younger sister was four years younger than I am, so when my sister was, you know, a baby and I was a kid, I was four or five years old, my mom was basically the sister that you would call if a sister passed away in the entire Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area. Um, if any Muslim sister passed away, my mom was the sister that they would call. And my mom would go out there and she would give ghusl because at that time we didn't have a real community in place, nor you know a funeral home for Muslims or something like that is out of the question. We barely had one masjid at that time. My mom would go out there, um, she would give ghusl uh, a lot of times in the home of that same family. That's that's how ragtag this situation was. Or they would basically have to rent out the funeral home, uh, you know, from from like a non-Muslim funeral home. My mom would give ghusl to the body. She would take, try to take some of the women from the family and instruct them on how to basically do it. My mom herself, before she would leave the house, would cut the kafan, the shroud, for the burial, that's why I remember her being like five, six years old. This might seem kind of scary to a lot of our sisters. I remember five, six years old, my mom was just cutting these humongous white sheets in the living room. And I even asked her, I said, what are you doing? And um, initially she just said, don't worry about it. Just have a seat. Uh, and later on she would explain to me exactly what she was doing. Um, and, and so she used to do that even though we were young. So it's not to say that sisters cannot achieve anything or do anything. So, of course not. They can do great things, but they will have to be structured. They will have to rely upon, you know, my dad would a lot of times take care of us while my mom was gone to take care of the, the, the washing and the shrouding of a sister. When my mom was out taking care of all these refugee families, I was, I was 12, 13 years old at the time. But I had to kind of step up, and we would go there to one of these families' homes, and I would sit in the living room, and I would kind of babysit, you know, my, my younger brother and take care of him at that time. Um, and so you'll have to develop a system and a structure, and sisters can help one another, rely upon family, try to see how family can help you out in that regard. But at the end of the day, I have to go back to my first point. Understand what you are doing at that time is the greatest thing that you can achieve and accomplish. You know, the, I promise this will be the last time I bring up my parents, but, um, you know, my parents made a lot of sacrifices in order to raise us properly and to spend time with us and make sure that we had everything that we needed, not just financially, but more importantly, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, they were there for us. They spent time with us. And maybe they had to put some of their own goals on the back burner a little bit. So my mom always wanted to learn Arabic. That was one of my mom's goals. She wanted to learn Arabic. But she was too busy making sure that I was able to memorize the Qur'an and my sister was able to learn Arabic and my younger brother could memorize the Qur'an and then both me and my younger brother could study Arabic and then I could go overseas and study Islam for, you know, eight, ten years. Um, she was too busy making sure that all of that could happen. And the reality of it is today, just the other day, uh, my mom asked me for some help with her homework. Now, you can imagine how that sounds. I was kind of like, what kind of homework do you have? Uh, and so she shows me her homework, 
and she's doing grammatical analysis of ayat of the Quran. It's called I'rab al-Quran. It's when you've studied enough grammar to where you go and now you do grammatical analysis of the Quran. I was, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, what are you doing, doing I'rab al-Quran? Did I miss something here? Like, when did you start doing this stuff? And she said, I've been attending my Arabic class for two years, three times a week, nonstop. And on the out hour, she gets together with her classmates, her class buddies, and she, you know, reviews her her lesson. So almost every single day she studies Arabic. And over after two years, she's gotten to the point where she can grammatically analyze the Quran. Um, and, and, you know, she was able to achieve this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put barakah in your time and Allah will make things later on in life because you dedicate your, yourself to the task at hand, to raising the right type of children, to building the ummah. That's what you're doing. You're fostering the next generation of the ummah and the leadership of the ummah, that Allah will make greater things possible for you. My dad, a couple of years ago, when he finally retired, uh, when we finally forced him into retirement, is what I should say, um, he started memorizing the Qur'an, and, and he probably spends about five to six hours a day memorizing the Qur'an, and mashallah, he's gotten to a point where I think, last time I checked, he had memorized about 12 years of the Qur'an. And so... Um, you know, the task at hand is something that is a remarkable task and realize this task will pay itself off later on. And you know what? Even if even if my parents were not able to, you know, memorize or learn or understand the Quran for themselves in this lifetime, because of the investment that they made into us, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them a rank and a status that will be way beyond ours on the Day of Judgment because they invested themselves into making sure that we were raised properly and we were able to learn a little bit about our religion. Jazakallah, Khair Sheikh Abdul Nasser. Even for your stories, all the lessons, mashallah. Uh, thank you so much. Jazakallah, Khair, for taking out the time to do this for us, for the sisters of Habibi Halakas and the audience of Muslim Matters. Um, I really, um, I sincerely pray to Allah to place barakah in your time, effort, health, and, you know, bless you you and your entire family, your parents, um, set you high ranks in Jannah. I mean, uh, I really appreciate can it. I, I'm sisters of Fabi Really appreciate I wanted it. To, I wanted to make uh, one last little pitch here at the end, if I can. Yes, please, go ahead. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, mashallah, everyone who benefited here today, please understand, um, uh, you know, I, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just the one talking here. And if you were to talk to, you know, my family members, they would basically tell you that's not really a problem for me. It kind of comes naturally, uh, talking a lot. So uh, that's not too difficult for me to do. But understand and realize there are a lot of brothers and sisters, especially sisters, um, who put in a lot of hard work to make all of these amazing programs and these resources available to you all. So uh, I know obviously everyone on the webinar webinar has probably um, already done this, but make sure that you um, – so if you yourself – are already benefiting and you've already done this, then make sure you share this resource with other people. Make sure you spread the word, tell people to go to Facebook and like 
uh, Habibi Halakha's page and um, so that they're able to benefit from these programs the next time they come around. And, of course, uh, Muslim Matters, who was also a part of this particular uh, program and project as well, um, you know, yourself go and subscribe and, you know, check out Muslim Matters. There's a lot of beneficial content on there. Um, a lot of our brothers, and especially, like I said, the sisters, put in a lot of hard work to making sure that there's always stuff on there for us to benefit from. And then also spread the word to your family, uh, to your family and friends and get the word out and make sure that as many people as possible find out about Muslim Matters and Habibi Halakas and they're able to, inshallah, benefit from the program. Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, that'll be it for me. Again, uh, you know, may Allah accept from all of us, and I appreciate all the du'as. Keep me, and especially my family. I know this is a sister's halaqa, so of course not only do I have a mother and a sister and a wife, uh, but I also have a beautiful niece, and I have two daughters uh, that are the light of my life, uh, Maryam and Aisha. So please uh, make lots of du'a for them and pray for them, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide all of us and accept from all of us. But jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and a wife, uh, but I also have a beautiful niece and I have two daughters uh, that are the light of my life, uh, Maryam and Aisha, so please uh, make lots of du'a for them and pray for them and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide all of us and accept from all of us. Wa jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.